For God. For country. For truth. For justice. For the Republic. You're listening to the Powder Monkey Podcast on PirateInfoWars.com. Episode 31 of the Powder Monkey Podcast. Um, This episode I am going to uh, entitle Firestorm. And uh, the reason I'm doing that is uh, my guest today is Brenda Arthur. She uh, previously displayed a poster at the West Virginia State Capitol of the burning of the Twin Towers with uh, Congresswoman Omar's picture beneath it. And so this set off a firestorm in West Virginia and even across the country. Uh, Brenda is a citizen activist in West Virginia. Her focus is centered on informing and educating the people and and elected officials in West Virginia about the uh, refugee business. And uh, also uh, the various ways in which our nation and state are being invaded by illegals, Muslims, and other such groups that are working to destroy our constitutional republic. The Muslim invasion has taken on special significance due to all it implies about the uh, Hijra and uh, that Muslims are commanded to perform. Uh, Brenda's been working with a number of West Virginia delegates and state senators to get a refugee information bill passed as well as an ALAC law and an amendment to West Virginia's FGM law, which uh, passed back in 1999 but allows for medical necessity. So, uh, Brenda... Uh, welcome to the Powder Monkey Podcast. Welcome aboard. I'm, I'm glad uh, to have you on. Thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate uh, your invitation and being here. Well, it's uh, it's it's been a, a little bit uh, in coming. We, pay, we played uh, email tag a little bit, but uh, you had uh, quite a, a bit to, uh, you know, that you were uh, handling uh, at the time. So, uh, you know, we I'm glad we finally got together on it. Um Let's start, um, I guess, with this. There's a lot to unpack. Um, I've listened to uh, several of your interviews, uh, and uh, they've all been fantastic. Um, so, uh, I, but in your interviews, I heard, you know, you were trying to shove everything into one segment. So I really want to let you unpack um, what you're doing uh, for, the, uh, for the audience, and, uh, you know, just uh, we'll discuss it as, as it goes. But um, I guess first, uh, uh, off the bat, how, how did this all begin for you? Where, where did it go from uh, one day, you know, everything was, uh, you know, just America, and, uh, you know, the next, there was this dark specter, I'm assuming. Uh, how, how did it begin for you? 
Well, I'd really have to go back a ways. Um, I lived in Southern California for 37 years prior to moving back here to West Virginia in June of 2013. And uh, during those 37 years, I would come here and visit my family. My sisters lived here, you know, all of her life and uh, would visit family members and so forth. And I remember one day being at her house and uh, at the time, I don't even think Fox News was available. It was just CNN primarily. But I remember seeing a congressman in the well of the house and uh, Tom Tancredo from Colorado, in fact, and He's not been in the Congress for a very long time now, but he was up there and he had all these uh, posters and diagrams and so forth. And he was talking about uh, illegal immigration and the impact that that was having on our nation. And I had one of those aha moments when the light bulb went on and I sat up on the side of the bed there, my sister's uh, one of the bedrooms in her house and I put my feet on the floor and I said out loud to myself I am living this in Southern California so I made it my business when I returned home um, to affiliate myself with people who knew about this people who were involved fighting it and uh, finding out more about it what I could do so I, uh, that led me to joining an organization called CCIR, which was the California Coalition for Immigration Reform, uh, started by a lady by the name of Barbara Coe, who was very instrumental uh, back a number of years ago with Prop 187. That may ring a bell with some people. Uh, that was a proposition that the people of California passed to say, we don't want to pay for the schooling and all of these health care needs and so forth of these illegals coming into our state. But as it often happens, one judge put an injunction on that and it never came to fruition in California. So uh, it was really an uphill battle there. Uh, but it opened my eyes, Sean, to what was happening. So from there, I would really say I fast forward, fast forward to West Virginia when I moved back here in June of 2013. And I told my sister that uh, at some point this battle was coming to West Virginia. And, that, you know, a lot of people think, oh, that's California, that's New York, that's Texas or whatever. But uh, somehow West Virginia seemed like it was in a bubble, maybe, uh, in some respects and not being... Uh, impacted by a lot of this. So I think my sister at the time sort of took it with a grain of sand. But uh, when I got back here in June of 2013, and uh, after I got my feet on the ground from that big move, I noticed that here in South Charleston, the, the largest mosque, in fact, in the state of West Virginia is here in South Charleston. It's called the Islamic Association of West Virginia. And to go to my sister's house uh, without getting on the freeway, I, the surface street I go by runs by there, by this mosque. So every time I'd go back and forth to my sister's house to visit her, I had to pass by this mosque. And I noticed that uh, they were in a building program. You know, I was seeing uh, uh, dumpsters and all kinds of uh, equipment out there and uh, men working on the building. And I said to my sister, I said, is, are there that many Muslims here in Charleston that they have this big mosque 
or that they are in this building program to expand it. And my sister said, well, I, I really don't know. I don't know anything about it. It's been here a while. So it was one of those things, Sean, I kind of made a mental note of and thought, hmm, okay, I'll just keep this in mind and see what develops. Well, about that time, we're getting into 2014, 2015 now, and uh, about that time is when I started seeing uh, in many places on the internet information about the Obama administration and all the refugees they were bringing into this country mm-hmm. and so forth. And, and I have to tell you, um, I prayed probably for about two years that God would raise someone up to fight this battle and to address these issues and to speak out uh, about them and inform people. And believe me, I had no intention um, that it would be me. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. I had no thought uh, that I wanted to do this. I felt totally inadequate to the job and uh, knew nothing about uh, refugees and the refugee business and and so forth. So um, after praying for this period of time, you know, it finally occurred to me I was the one being tapped on the shoulder. Right. And uh, thought, well, if not me, who? You know, you get to that point. So um, I remember it was about uh, November of 2015. I was at my house one day. My sister calls me and she says, did you see on Facebook that there's going to be a rally in downtown Charleston? And this was November 20-something of that year. And she said they're going to be rallying about bringing Syrian refugees into Charleston. And I said, "Uh, no. I said, I didn't know anything about it. And I said, when is it? She said, five o'clock. And I, so I called a few people, tried to get them to meet me. Nobody met me. Nobody went with me. But I got down there um, on the boulevard, and um, I was the only person there. And there were probably about 150 uh, leftists that had gathered and Muslims that had gathered there on the boulevard uh, to show their support for bringing refugees into West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so finally, a little guy, a Vietnam vet, joined me, and so there were just the two of us on that very cold November day. And uh, as the rally broke up, you know, the police officers were there and all. And as the rally broke up, uh, there were people that came by and gave me, you know, that wonderful uh, salute with the middle, oh yeah, <laughs> the middle finger, yep, and said certain things and you know, why do you hate refugees? And I said, I don't hate refugees. I said, I just think that the the people, the impoverished people of Appalachian and West Virginia come before they do. And let, let's, um, let's address that um, now, because, you know, with Syria, one of the things that, um, you know, was underreported, but, um, you know, you could, it, it's out there. It can be found uh, if if this you know strikes a chord with somebody and they want to look. It's out there to be found. But the, they they change the age of these Syrian refugees and how their treatment you know how they were to be treated. Um, and fighting age men, if I'm correct, um, were the the main um, you know group coming in. Is is that correct? Yes, uh, you are correct. In fact. I have a number of articles and confirmation from back in those days 
in 2015 where the Obama administration had virtually wiped out uh, any vetting of these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have that documented. And uh, along with that, this group that had uh, organized this rally back in November of 2015, uh, I later found out that they had organized themselves to, and their sole purpose, or primary purpose, I should say, was to bring Syrian Muslims, not just refugees in general, but Syrian Muslims, into Charleston. And of course, throughout the state. And if you'll remember, back in back then, the whole Middle East was on fire. Yeah. Um, and, and Syria, you know, all the the war in Syria and all that was going on. And um, I was finally starting to make some contacts with people around here and Catholic charities. Um, I spoke with the refugee person there who who administers their program. And she told me this, and it came directly from her, mm-hmm. that these people had come to her, and the Muslims here in Charleston or South Charleston, had come to her and wanted her to focus on bringing Syrian Muslims into uh, Charleston under the refugee program. Mm-hmm. And this was about the time of the Charlie Hebdo uh, mm-hmm. murders and all that was going on there and she said well I, I don't know you know I think we should hold off on that let's see what settles out and so they didn't like her response so they went out and formed their own organization called WVIRM standing for West Virginia Ref Interfaith Refugee Ministry right yeah so with that um they moved ahead in fact they applied to the state department to become the second refugee resettlement contractor in west virginia for about 37 38 years up to that point only catholic charities had a contract with or through the uh, united states conference of catholic bishops to bring refugees in here Mm -hmm. so so now this second group uh, wants to bring refugees in and in fact they had an article in the Charleston Gazette Mail back in May of 2016 and the article said that they wanted to bring hundreds of refugees you know not just a few families Sean you know to help some people out mm-hmm. uh, and I learned this is not about humanitarianism it's about as you said the Hijra and we can talk more about that later. Right. But the, they literally wanted to bring hundreds in. And, and I have a copy of that article. And when I read that, um, you know, contrary to what I was being told by certain elected officials that I had been contacting to find out what they knew about this. In fact, are refugees coming into Charleston, into West Virginia? Um, it, this made it real, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, I had started to contact, in fact, um, different uh, legislators, House of Delegates members at the time, uh, state senators, a couple of the mayors, the mayor of Charleston, the mayor of South Charleston. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm coming from a point I know nothing about this and um, just felt pretty inadequate to even know what to say to them. And all the word that I got from all of them was, well, this is a state. This is a federal program, rather. And, uh, you know, the state's not involved in this. So I thought, well, you know, is that the case? You know, because I was I didn't know where else to go from this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then, you know, I mentioned the rally in November of uh, 2015 when they got together. 
So after this rally, I thought, well, I'm going to contact the governor's office. Governor Tomlin was in at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and surely the governor will know, right, if, if we have refugees coming in. So I did that, and actually I did get a call back in early December, about a week later, from his then chief of staff, Chris Stadelman. And he told me, uh, no, the governor uh, has not been told that West Virginia is getting any refugees. So I thought, well, okay, um, that's how I can't go any higher than that. I don't know where else to go. Right. So um, I just put it on the back burner at that time. And then I have to fast forward from that December of 2015 to May of 2016 when this article appeared in the Gazette Mail. And um, it was now for real. And then I found out that Charleston had been targeted under the Obama administration as one of 47 cities in which they were going to expand this refugee racket. Right. And I have to call it a racket. You know, people tend to think, oh, that's so wonderful. It's humanitarian and all that. No, Uh, it it may surprise some people, maybe not, to know that the two co-sponsors of this Refugee Act of 1980 were Ted Kennedy and Joe Biden. Mm. They they were the sponsors. Jimmy Carter signed it into law. Yeah, about nine or ten, ten months or so before Reagan took office. And uh, as I understand it, one of the big issues at the time for people who were opposed to it, that was probably the Republicans, that uh, was the whole point about this will change the demographics of America. Mm -hmm. Because we had always brought in refugees, you know, and I am not anti-refugee, you know, but I'm against the business of refugees and the racket and foisting a permanent program on the American people now for over 40 years, which was set up to change the demographics of America. So talking about demographics, um, and I don't know if you have this or if you know this, um, but let's talk for a minute about what Catholic charities were, you know, what, what was the mix of faiths that came across? We're using the word ref- refugees, but how many, um, you know, were, you know, that that comes in, um, you know, if you know the number. Um, what's the mix? Uh, Christian, uh, Muslim, I mean, you know, just uh, what it, what is the mix of, um, of faiths that, that they bring in uh, as a whole? Well, in the past, I would have been able to give you that yeah, information. I, I didn't, I don't want to put you on the spot there. I'm, uh, I'm, but uh, let me tell you why that's not available now, because uh, they're uh, under um, a website called Raps Nest, Raps mm-hmm. Net, excuse me, gotcha. W-R-A-P-S-N-E-T, dot org. Mm-hmm. They had an interactive uh, section on that website, Sean, where you could go and every day you could see the numbers of refugees that were coming into the country. You could find out what states they were going to, even what towns they were going to. Mm-hmm. You could find out their religion. Uh, and so forth. Well, under the Obama administration, that number of Muslims jumped significantly. But uh, my focus was more on the numbers prior, you know, over the period of time Mm -hmm. that I could get that information. And that website did go back to 2003. So anything before that was archived where you couldn't, you know, access it, I guess, without a FOIA request. 
Uh, but from 2003 to July of 2019, West Virginia got 197 refugees. Mm-hmm. They were from Burma. The Some were from Eritrea. I didn't even know where Eritrea was. Um, I found out it's the Horn of Africa. Uh, they were from Ethiopia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Uganda, and Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the legislators that I've talked to over time and even others have said, well, 197 people, refugees over, what, a 16-year period? That's not very many. And I said, no, West Virginia's, you're right, West Virginia's numbers have been small, but that's about to change. And we knew that West Virginia had been targeted in the under the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. And so this second refugee group, resettlement group I mentioned just earlier, uh, they were approved on December 21 of 2016 to bring these hundreds of refugees into Charleston that they had wanted to bring. Well, we all know Trump won the election about a month before or so, a month and a half, right. and that never happened. They got put on hold. And during these last four years, you know, when Trump was in office, they talked about making up for what they call the lost Trump years. Mm. And so to me, that just said, you know, these towns, small town America we're talking about, which is part of changing the demographics of America, uh, that they were going to fulfill their mission that they had. And in fact, Biden has said uh, with the numbers that he wants to bring in, it would be about, uh, well, over an 800 percent increase. Mm-hmm. In in the numbers from the Trump years uh, that he that uh, he wants to bring, so if that's the case and they're able to do this, I mean, look at how our border is being invaded now, and it I oh, call it an invasion. It is. it is, and and the children, the child trafficking. The children, um, I mean, um, go ahead, yeah. These people, uh, while are claiming as they are claiming asylum, so they're coming here as illegals. Uh, they're uh, ret- uh, turning themselves in, rather, to our uh, Border Patrol. Mm-hmm. And then what they're doing is they're claiming asylum, so they get a court date for which they never come back for. Right. However, if they are granted asylum status, then they have the same rights and privileges that you or I do as American citizens as far as, well, as far as everything goes, mm-hmm. and for uh, any type of benefits and services. The uh, people tend to get refugees and asylees mixed up. The only difference between a refugee and an asylee is how they get to our country. A refugee is brought here by one of nine contractors with the State Department. An asylee comes to our country maybe on a tourist visa or a student visa or somehow gets in here, comes in illegally, Mm -hmm. and then they turn themselves in for asylum. But a refugee or an asylee get the same status in terms of benefits that they receive, which are, it's everything. They get housing subsidies, they get Medicaid, uh, they get TANF or temporary assistance to needy families, which is cash welfare. They get uh, what's called SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition for Assistance Program, which is the old food stamp program. Um, they get interpreters. That I mean. Right. You can go. There's a whole massive list uh, 
so, of benefits they get. Now, uh, in listening to one of your, um, you know, other interviews, did I do I get this right that they actually receive more than, say, a disabled veteran would receive in benefits total? Well, when they arrive here, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure how much a disabled vet gets. So sure, I yeah, I mean, 100% or something, you know, like that, just, um, yeah. you know. It depends. They mm-hmm. could. They could possibly. I mean, when you add up all these benefits and services together, mm-hmm. if you add up, let's say, Medicaid for a family of four, mm-hmm. you know, if, when they arrive here, somebody from the Refugee Resettlement Agency goes to the airport, picks them up, you know, they're uh, expecting them to arrive, and that day, Sean, or the next day, depending upon their arrival time, they are taken to the welfare office. And they get a social security number. Uh, they get uh, signed up for their Medicaid, and they get signed up for their food stamps or uh, SNAP, and all of the the benefits they're entitled to. Mm-hmm. So um, now, when they do arrive, Catholic Charities gets nine hundred and fifty dollars per head for each refugee that's brought here. The refugee family or individual, each individual in the family gets uh, I think it's 1125 it's either 1125 or um, 1025 I can't remember okay but uh, let's say $1100 to make it even uh, so if you have a family of four each one of those people's getting $1100 uh, that's $4400 sure you know so Catholic Charities is not doing this out of the goodness of their heart or humanitarianism or their spiritual uh, you know need um, they're not passing the plate on Sunday, so to speak, and right. getting this money. You and I are paying for it for the most part. In fact, 90% of what they get comes from our tax dollars. Um, you'll have people like Rabbi Yurecki, who's really a socialist. Um, you know, He's well-known here in Charleston. Mm-hmm. He's at the forefront of every socialist cause that there is. I and, and I'll just say it like it is. He's, he lies about this. He will be on the radio. Um, in the past, I've heard him uh, or TV program and say that this is federal money, that there's absolutely no state money involved in this to bring people, these refugees here. Well, that's just a total lie. Right. First of all, I'd like to inform Rabbi Yurecki that federal money is our money. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, what is it that he doesn't get about that? But aside from that, the people of West Virginia are paying for these other services. We're paying to have refugee kids in our uh, schools, our public schools. Right. The average cost to educate one student for a school year is about $11,000. The federal government kicks in about 10% of that. So uh, there's about a $10,000 net cost to the people of West Virginia for every refugee kid that's that's in our public schools. Um, the people of West Virginia, there's a state refugee coordinator that's in the West Virginia state refugee plan. So she has a salary that's paid for by the people of West Virginia, mm-hmm. and she also has uh, benefits that are paid for. You know, in, in addition to that, we pay for the cost of interpreters if they're needed for medical care or legal services or whatever is the case. Um, We pay for cash welfare payments, Mm -hmm. the the TANF that I mentioned earlier, and also 
we pay a percentage of the Medicaid. And I'm not an expert on this, but let me just tell you what I found out through my research. Um, with Medicaid, the state of West Virginia has to front the money for that, for anybody on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And each state gets a reimbursement from the federal government. And it's I guess it's different for every state. West Virginia gets reimbursed about 75%, as I understand it, for the cost of Medicaid. So any uh, the other 25%, the people of West Virginia are bearing that cost that we pay for through our taxes. Mm -hmm. So when I hear people like Rabbi Yurecki or others say there's no there are no costs to the state of West Virginia, uh, that's just a lie. I mean, it's, it's just totally untrue. Speaking of... And, uh, Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, uh, you you mentioned a lie, and I, I thought that would be a good uh, segue. Um, the you you know we we mentioned uh, the word uh, the hijra, but uh, mm -hmm. let's talk about another word, takia. Yes. So, um, you know, you had um, in listening to some of your interviews, you mirrored some of the things I guess that uh, word for word almost that uh, I had uh, mentioned to Dave Gobbitz uh, in our interview. Uh, you called, uh, you know, you called the situation an onion, um, that there's layers of it. And the more you peel back, the more, you know, it makes your eyes water, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, and uh, you also you also mentioned, um, you know, that it seems like a lot of things, you know, we keep talking about the people of West Virginia. But you you mentioned something, and you said uh, uh, to paraphrase, it seems like uh, a lot of things come out of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the people of West Virginia. I mean, I, I think the first thing we need to understand, if we're going to fight it, and we need to, you know, is uh, we have to get mad about it. We have to see what's happening and who's manipulating. Um, you know, and and so I just thought I, I would ask you and let you maybe expand upon that. And uh, maybe as far as the the man behind the curtain, uh, if you would, I mean, yes. expand upon that. Yeah, with uh, the, that term takia, yes, um, maybe some of your listeners uh, are familiar with it, but for those who aren't, it's deception. That's what it is. And um, Islam uh, not only teaches takia, it's part of their practice. They are permitted and, and endorse lying to the infidel, which they consider us, all non-Muslims, in order to advance the cause of Islam. In fact, they are even permitted, Sean, you may know this, to put their hand on um, the Quran and swear and tell a lie to you if it advances the cause of Islam or if it protects another Muslim. So as long as we're in what's called the lower house, and that the lower house means that the Muslims are not totally in control, but I would almost refute that fact in places like Michigan and Minnesota, mm -hmm. where the large Muslim populations really have, have taken over. Uh, we see the byproduct of that with Ilhan Omar in Congress and uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, in Congress. But uh, once the upper, what's called the upper house is reached, they, and they're in control uh, according to what I understand about Islamic ideology, 
then they don't have to or there's no need to or they're not permitted to uh, practice taqiyya because then they have all the infidels under subjugation. Mm-hmm. You know, And so there, that need to lie in order to advance Islam doesn't exist as much. So, um, yeah, it's a very deceptive ideology. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, wait a minute, they have a right to their religion. But there is no uh, ideology. It's really an ideology more than it is a religion. It has sprinklings, if you will, of religion in it. Uh, But the ideology is one of deception. It's one, I mean, what good person, so to speak, follows a prophet that uh, who was a murderer, a thief, a thug, a pedophile, and a rapist. That's what their prophet Muhammad was. And so when I hear that term, oh, a good Muslim and so forth, I, I just am kind of gobsmacked by that because really, uh, how are you a good person if you're lying in order to advance your religion or your ideology or if you're following a man who is, what, did all of these things? And, right. and promoted, you know, stealing and rape and, and child rape, you well, know, and so forth. It's just, it, it runs totally counter to our Judeo- Judeo-Christian uh, thinking. It, it does. And, uh, you know, to, to go even further, it goes against our um, supposed, you know, and, and I think it's always funny when the, you know, the, the inclusive crowd, the people who, you know, uh, you know, everything has to be inclusive. You know, they want it to be inclusive until it becomes a thought that they or, or you know, a statement that they can't um, tolerate. Mm-hmm. And and when it becomes that point, then then you don't it, it's kind of like a, you know, uh, uh, it, it's just uh, it, and it, it blows my mind that more people can't see it. I, I don't understand, you know, why we give these people such a platform. I, well, I do understand because it's all it's all a sob. It, it really is, um, and uh, you know, it, it is a. Um, uh, again, it, I think there's a deeper root. Um, you know, you talk about the 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 people just pouring in over at the borders, and then you see them come through. I don't know if you've seen what uh, the coverage. Not very many people will cover it. Uh, Infowars is at the border right now, um, covering it. Um, you know, the people just being bussed in, the mm-hmm. the Manila envelopes that they're given, and then they just, you know, like you said, they just go off into you know into the wild blue yonder. Um, and, um, also, you know, not just the people that are going in the vetting, but these children that come in, the vetting for those people. I mean, do we have to go back and, uh, you know, cover all the, all the sting operations, all the things that have been going on, um, you know, uh, over the last few years that we've seen, uh, you know, even here in West Virginia. And so, um, it just, it blows my mind that people don't see, you know, or or care enough to um, to do more than just vote, if that makes sense. And then yes. and then when they do, they they vote wrong. <laughs> and and it's because and it's because I feel that they're manipulated. I did a yes. lot of knocking, Brenda. And um, you know, uh, I guess you know when people think of uh, West Virginia, they think of the moderate Democrat, or they used to. You know the the mm-hmm. you know the the Reagan Democrats or the you know but uh, 
I just don't, you know, we've, we've been, again, overtaken this. We've been, uh, I, I guess, as an American, as the American population, we've been given a strong delusion, I think. And uh, it's just the, um, you know, the, the willingness of people to believe a lie. Um, but, uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, you, you're no um, stranger to the, um, you know, people pointing fingers at you and, and uh, you know, calling it hate speech. But Sharia, by definition, by the you know, liberal definition, the, the legal definition, is abusive or threatening speech or writing that expresses prejudice against a particular group, especially on the basis of race, religion, or sexual orientation. Now, if I remember correctly, there's parts in there about throwing people off roofs, um, you know, and if we're going to be a pure Muslim, I, I understand, um, you know, where I was getting it wrong before I interviewed Dave. Um, you know, if we're going to be a pure Muslim, we have to hold to those precepts and Sharia. Is that not correct? Oh, without a doubt. Yes, yes. That That is the, the goal is to establish their caliphate with Sharia being the law of the land. Mm -hmm. you know, they want to do away with our constitutional republic. Uh, they want to put us under subjugation and where Islam rules. Mm -hmm. And um, that is a diabolical plan. You know, they're, they're trying to break America apart right now. We're seeing it in so many ways where the what Jim Simpson and others have called the red green axis. Yes. The red the red being the communists, the green being Muslims or Islam. And they have literally joined forces, if you will, uh, to break this country apart. Back in uh, twenty fifteen, Nihad Awad, who's the executive director of CARE, uh, when I think it's the first <laughs> time most of us had heard of BLM or Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. at a conference, he said Black Lives Matter is our matter. So, you know, they're not even uh, subtle about it anymore, Sean. They're, they're out there uh, saying every kind of thing that's, in, well, in fact, part of it's just insane. You know, the things. I, I heard the other day they're saying now that, tr that trees are racist. You know, uh, uh, math is racist. Right. I, I mean, these are just concepts. Bill, that Bill Burr is racist because he married a black woman. That's, uh, yeah. you know, that was a headline, an actual headline. It, it's not the Babylon Bee. It, it, that was an actual headline. Yeah. You just really are startled and, and kind of scratch your head at the insane statements that these people make. And, and what they embrace is truth. Mm -hmm. And you said something about a strong delusion. Uh, that's the only explanation that you can come up with is that these people are totally deluded. You know, that there is, is a satanic delusion that has their eyes covered or something. Um, and it's it's just stunning, and, you know, to see what's happening before our very eyes. And I think that, uh, you know, I think every family has it. I think everybody sees it. Uh, you know, every family sees it. But uh, you would mention in an, in an interview uh, when I was doing some research, uh, you know, that, that you've, you know, uh, just through your relatives and your loved ones, you know, uh, and, and they're, you know, I, I guess, significant others that, uh, you know, that, you know, the, the liberal mentality and the mindset and, you know, I, I live it, you know, I, I do. And uh, I believe, you know, that the people that that are close to me, I believe they really in their heart, they think that they're doing something good, but they are just not willing to believe 
that other than what they've been told, um, you know, everything else is, is, you know, racist or homophobic or, or bigoted or, you know, and it's just the... Uh, <laughs> It's just the hypocrisy is just so. Why aren't we canceling Sharia? Why isn't Sharia canceled? And well, see, this is part of the deception with changing the language. Like we were talking just earlier about Takia, they will take certain words and and phrases and things, and they will control the narrative about them, and describe them. What they call hate speech is just somebody else's different opinion. Absolutely. You know, it, it, they call it hate speech to shut you up and to minimize you and take away your uh, freedom of speech. Eric Blair uh, referred to it as Newspeak, I believe, or, mm. um, you know, or, or better known as, I guess, his pen name, George Orwell. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it's... Uh, you know, the, they, they change the, you know, you, and I mean, if you really look at that, it, 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 that wasn't a, you know, he didn't just come up with that like George Lucas and Star Wars, you know, which there are conspiracy theories about that as well, but we're not, that's another episode. But, um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, that was a plan. Aldous Huxley, if you look at who he was related to, you know, these are the architects that of this is of what we see now, what is happening before our eyes, you know, and there's we're going to get into, I hope, um, you know, talks about, you know, we're going to talk maybe about uh, here in a little bit about uh, we'll unpack how everybody that's listening to this broadcast, the fact that what we're recording right now is being run through filters and, you know, the things that, you know, everything you cannot evade it. It is here. And it's way worse and way more powerful than Big Brother ever, ever was perceived to be. Um, but, you know, it, I, I, I'm going to ask you something uh, and see if you know this name. Now, I don't know if she's still, I uh, didn't, didn't really do much of a deep dive. There was a lot to go through. But um, do you know the name Alexandra Gallo? Does that ring a bell? It sort of does, but I couldn't tell you why or where. Well, it, again, <laughs> it's it's like an onion. And um, like Dave and I talked about, you know, there's acronyms, you know. And the acronyms change, but the, the, the philosophy and the agenda and, you know, really the people stay the same. So um, I ran into some people when the president was here um, in uh, 2017, Mm-hmm. He gave a speech at the uh, the Boy Scout uh, Jamboree. And, um, you know, a board member, she's, I've, I mean, it's on my website. I have the video where she took credit for the, uh, you know, I see these people and um, I'm going on a tangent here. But basically, Brenda, you know, she was a board member for the West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry. I've got her on film in my neighborhood yelling healthcare is a human right not just for the rich and white that's racist yeah it is that's racist and but all these things that they're saying and doing to exempt white people they do not see as racist no but well because well that's an agenda there's nothing new under the sun and that's that's another thing it, it's it, this is just the wheel coming back around. It's just a different group of people that it's happening to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, it's an onion. And I just thought I would touch on that. I I, hate, I didn't mean to derail us where we were going with everything. Um, but, um, you know, there, you just you really I mean, from social media to the news 
in, in a lot of respects, you've really gotten a, a you know an unfair shake. I've I've been a member of your you know your Facebook group there, and uh, I've seen the the shadow banning and the banning and the the Facebook jail and the you know being afraid to you know you know even who you can let into your circle because you never know what they're going to do or or how they're going to try attempt to assassinate your character. Exactly. In fact, when I get a request for somebody to join Secure WV, um, I try to check them out as best I can. Sure. You know, I, I look to see who their friends are. I look to see how many groups they belong to and want groups. Um, you know, when I see somebody who's been on Facebook for 11 years, has no friends and belongs to 193 groups, I am not <laughs> I am not going to add them right. uh, to Secure WV because I'm suspect you know about who they are and what the, what their motive is mm-hmm. the um you know with it um i guess going into um i don't know is there anything else maybe you wanted to cover or address as far as you know laying the i guess the groundwork i, I know that we talked about you know your, your your background and um everything like that but maybe moving into the the firestorm itself maybe uh setting up for that and uh maybe discussing that a little bit and because there's a lot there just with that um and i want to make sure that everybody gets uh you know their voice heard you know and and we'll get into that more but let's talk about let's talk about the you know the the poster incident and um Mm -hmm. what happened there okay Oh, do you want me just to run with that? Um, yeah, go for it. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, this goes back, well, almost uh, two years ago now. Well, over two years ago. It was uh, uh, March of uh, March 1st of 2019. Mm-hmm. And so um, the Republicans, for the first time ever, because the Republicans now have been in charge of the state, um, you know, for a long time, well, for what, six years now, going seven years mm-hmm. But for the first time, as I understand it, they had a Republican day at the state capitol. And, of course, this didn't set well with the Democrat communists. I, I call them Democrat communists because they have so gone so far, uh, m- many of them, that uh, I just don't even see them as socialists anymore, frankly, Sean. Right. But, but um, anyway, so the Republicans had this day, and I was invited uh, back, in fact, the uh, – December before, so about three months prior, I had been invited to come and set up a table that day, mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, I would welcome that and an opportunity. At the time, I had an ACT chapter uh, here in West Virginia, and so um, I was happy to promote that and also to give people copies of the West Virginia Refugee Plan, which most people have never even seen. Our legislators didn't even know that the state of West Virginia had a refugee plan mm-hmm. uh, until I started showing it to them and, and telling them about it. So I get there that day, set everything up, and uh, the uh, fourth session for the House of Delegates always starts, or I say always, probably always, or most always, at 11 o'clock every morning mm-hmm. during the, the session. And so um, I was out there, had my table set up, and, and a name that a lot of people are familiar with, Mike Pushkin, uh, who's a Democrat communist delegate from here in Charleston. And he comes up to my table, and I've had run-ins with him before. So um, he comes up, and he starts looking at my materials and starts taking pictures 
of some of the things that I have on my table and the posters. And he says, why are you doing this? And, you know, starts confronting me about it. And uh, I, he started rifling through my things, and he took copies of various uh, handouts and so forth, which I knew sure. he was, pro- was going to make a, a problem about it. But that was okay, you know. And he, it was there for anybody who wanted to take a copy. And so a few minutes later, he comes back to my table. And frankly, I have to tell you, I'm glad that I had a a table between me and these men. There were, I guess, about probably eight men uh, screaming and yelling and F you and we're going to have you thrown the F out of here. And uh, you're a a racist and all those names that they call you. Hmm. And Mike Caputo especially was just like a wild, crazy street thug, flailing his arms and screaming and cursing at me. And um, so this went on. You know, when you're in the middle of something like that, (laughs) you kind of lose track of time. Sure. And um, so eventually, because the floor session was starting, um, they left my table. Uh, and, and as I said, I was glad there was some room between me and them because I'm not so sure but what some of them would have gotten in my face and maybe gotten a little physical. Right. But um, anyway, so they go up the, the few stairs there from the rotunda into the uh, house, uh, into the floor session. And they carry this on into uh, the, the session there. And uh, in fact, Sharon... Um, Malcolm, who was a delegate at the time, she's passed away since, but yes, uh, she told me that, uh, you know, Caputo gouged her in the side uh, to push her out of the way because he, he was like insane, you know, his actions. It's hard to believe that we have uh, elected representatives who behave this way in public, you know, but nonetheless, he gouged her out of the way. And Sharon later told me that from the day that he did that, she'd had a mastectomy on that side and uh, where he gouged her. And from that day, she was in pain. And because uh, I saw her in August of 2019 at the Republican picnic. Mm-hmm. And by December, she'd passed away. So it's it, just a little too close. <laughs> and and I want to point out um and, you know, maybe, you know, like I said, we can take a deep dive into that. Um, you can take that where you want to. But she happened to pass away. Um, there, there were charges pending. And if I understand correctly, she passed away on the same day that uh, Delegate uh, Caputo um, was to, I guess, go to trial for this. Am I correct in that? That's what I understand, yes. Okay. Yes. He had battery charges that were filed against him. And uh, Sharon had even told me, you know, she couldn't wait to testify and so forth. Isn't it ironic that she passed away that weekend before that Monday? Right. I mean, it just, you know, you just, it leaves a question mark in your mind as to what happened. Uh But uh, anyway, um, yeah, and he even, you know, it was all about women. I mean, he was cursing at Ann Lieberman, who was the... um, Sergeant at Arms at the time, uh-huh. and also uh, Diana Graves, another delegate, and uh, he, he was just out of control. Well, finally, I guess he simmered down. Now, um, they were in session there, Sean, and I don't know how long they had been in. I'm standing out there in the rotunda by my table, and different other vendors are coming up to me and saying, boy, that was something, and 
you know what happened there and i said did anybody get that on their can on their phones you know <laughs> trying to find somebody and uh, so the speaker of the house roger hanshaw sent someone to me to tell me you are to take that poster down or we're going to throw you i'm going to throw you and all these other vendors out of the capitol so and now so basically i mean there's no way to spin that they are violating your your free speech yeah. i mean i mean it's not uh, the way i see it brenda is some people protested something so you know um that that's how i see it you know it, w what did you do um you know mm. ilhan omar can be anti-semitic um she can um be associated with the you know uh, the the worst ideology in in world history <laughs> um yeah. you know i mean it, it's but again uh why wasn't mike caputo canceled um mm -hmm. you know why wasn't he ever i mean as i understand it um you know he got immunity yeah um well yeah he did in fact that that's uh how he was uh, let off the hook is that he had legislative immunity because this happened you know during the session at the capitol well, can a delegate do anything then and have legislative immunity? You know, he committed battery on another delegate. Right. Well, and, and there were multiple injuries that day, if I understand. And uh, maybe I'd like you, you know, if you know the, the skinny on that, maybe I'd like you to, you know, expand up on that. Um, you know, the sergeant of arms. You know, I, I, if it, I mean, in my mind, if I were the sergeant of arms, they would have been exiting. You know, not me. <laughs> I wouldn't have been resigning. Um, well, there was such a blow up there. Anne told me afterward. She didn't talk to anybody for several days because she was just so overcome by the whole thing. Right. Um, but she offered to tender her resignation to Hanshaw, the speaker. And instead of him being, in my opinion, being a stand-up guy and saying, no, no, let's see what happened here. Let me investigate this thing, you know, and get everybody's side, and we'll see about that later. Mm. Uh, he welcomed her resignation, you know, uh, right there. To me, that just shows a weakness, you know, not oh. wanting to, to deal with it. You know, Brenda... Um like I said, I knocked doors. I did a lot for the, the Republican Party, you know, as a volunteer during that time. Uh, because, again, I felt like it was, if not me, who? Mm -hmm. And that was literally just about it. And like I said, the people that I ran into, even though that, you know, even though they were registered hard blue, you know, um, you know, they would all say it was the same thing I heard knocking doors. I'm a Democrat, but my party's left me behind. Mm -hmm. And things like things like this never get out. I, you know, I, I, you know, keep my ear to the grindstone. I didn't know about. I didn't go deep enough into Sharon Malcolm. I didn't go deep enough, you know, it, you know, into the 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 literal, like you said, thuggery that some of our elected representatives have done. You know, but they're given a free pass, and. Yes. Mm. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. This is this is uh, your interview. I'm just getting a little fired. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, like I said, we're just having a conversation. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, when Caputo left my table, I should back up there a minute and say, you know, um, during the Pledge of Allegiance and the prayer, 
the sergeant at arms or the doorkeepers are supposed to keep those doors shut. They don't get to interrupt that. That's part of the protocol they have. But Caputo goes up there, and there's a young doorkeeper uh, on the other side. And you can see there's glass there, so you can see through who's on the other side. Uh, that there's someone standing there. Oh wow! And this this young doorkeeper was about 20. Well, I call him a kid, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. But a uh, Caputo uh, slams the doors open with both hands, knocks this young doorkeeper down. Uh, he, I guess, he was able, from what I understand, to to kind of catch the handle of the door to keep from being knocked all the way to the floor. But at the at the time, we thought that he had broken ribs. Mm-hmm. You know, so he he knocks this kid down. Then he goes to Sharon Malcolm, and gouges her. And then he's also cursing, you know, at Diana Graves and others. And you know, um, Pushkin was he he wasn't doing it inside the the session, as far as I know. But there were three of the primary ones. I call them the Capital Gang. There was Caputo, Pushkin, and Angelusi. Mm. They were the three. And unfortunately, now Caputo's in the West Virginia Senate. So oh, Marion yeah. County, Marion County, just put him. You know, the people there just put him in the West Virginia Senate after what twenty years or twenty some years in the House of Delegates. Well, after um, you know Joe Biden, uh, nothing surprises me. <laughs> so I mean, but yeah. uh, you know, uh, again, uh, you know that that's a whole nother episode there as well. But mm. um, you know, the the good thing though, Brenda, is that there was an apology issued. The bad thing is it was to, um, you know, uh, actually the um, uh, care, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yes. So uh, so maybe let's get into that, because that letter uh, issued by um, Ken Hicks, mm-hmm. uh, that wasn't an apology. It was a dog groveling to its master. Yes. I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm going to be blunt. And, uh, you know, that's what it was. And if he wants to refute that, he's more than welcome to give you know give me a call. I'll, I'll be more than happy to to discuss it with him, or you know Pushkin Caputo. Um, I would I would more than love to in, you know have that conversation. But um, we're not doing that now. But um, you know it, it's just that for people who have never seen it, um, you know I highly recommend looking into you know to everything Brenda has everything documented. And read the letter for yourself. Go that far, and then maybe you'll get angry. Maybe you'll you'll want to do something. Hmm. But no, before I get yeah. into that, um, the letter that they sent. Just to finish my thought about uh, when the speaker Roger Henshaw sent an emissary, if you will, mm-hmm. to tell me to take my poster down, the one with the burning twin towers and Johan Omar. Uh, it said, you know, you said you'd never forget. You know, I'm proof that you've forgotten at the bottom um well what happened is that i stood there for i don't know 10 15 seconds probably sort of astounded at this and thinking and i said to this person i said wait a minute i said this is the people's house you know i'm in perfect order i haven't done anything these other vendors here haven't done anything and but the reason i did i i finally took it down and the only reason i did sean was because I didn't think it was fair to these other vendors that had come, maybe driven two or three hours. Some of them spent their own money uh, to put out their display tables and so forth. I didn't think it was fair to them to be thrown out. Mm. 
you know, uh, about when they have maybe four hours left to go, you know, three or four hours left to go uh, there. Um, so I took the poster down, and I put up another one. I, I have many posters that I've, I've had made that really, you know, they're worth a thousand to ten thousand words. Mm. <laughs> some things, some of these memes you see. And I put up one that has a picture of an Appalachian family, and it says that impoverished Appalachians, you know, should come before refugees. I'm going to point. Did you know that I had Democrat communists come by my table after that, and say to me, "That's disgusting. Oh, that is disgusting." Of course it is. Of course they would say that. That would be, you know, I mean, yeah. what 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 other, um, you know, emotion have they been programmed to feel yeah. for the last, you know? How long, you know, uh, what, 12 plus years now, uh, longer than that? I mean, it really ramped up during the Obama administration, um, you know, yes. but, um, you know, and it's just, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, it is a, uh, it, it's just, it blows my mind. And you know, like I said, if if people read the, the article, um, and, and with you, one thing else I want to point out is that, uh, you're not. You don't have a special interest group um, funding what you do. This is all, as I understand it, you take money out of your retirement fund to do this. That's correct. And I want to. I want to recommend something because I think you have a winner. But I would take that poster and make a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you know. Uh, that's just you mean me. the one with uh, Ilhan Omar. Yes. And yes. Oh, I, I did. I did. Oh, have did that you? Done. Okay. I had a, I had a okay. hundred T-shirts made, and I sold a few of them to people. Um, the reason I didn't put it on on the Facebook page was because I thought they may come after me. Oh yeah, absolutely. Saying that I don't have a resale license or I, you know, some other tax issue or something. Yeah. When I have a lot more money into those hundred T-shirts. Um, and I had to go about 80 miles because no, none of the people around here would print those T-shirts for me. Yeah. So, so I had a, somebody who's on Fox Secure WV found a, a vendor for me, you know, um, in another city about 80 miles away. And that's where I had those T-shirts made. And I've still got quite a number of them, in fact. Um, my goal was to get 100 people out there in front of the Capitol and have them <laughs> wearing these T-shirts. I was actually going to offer. So I'm just going to throw this out here, okay? Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw one more word out here, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with this word, but do you know the word doggle? Doggle? No, I, I'm not familiar with that. Okay, it's, it's, it's a Hebrew term. And it is to raise a flag or a standard. Hmm. And so, being that uh, you're on the pirate ship Powder Monkey, um, <laughs> we're going to raise the flag. I would, I will volunteer. I will get a shirt, <laughs> and I will volunteer to stand there with you and beside you, and uh, you know, proudly uh, defend your right to free speech. So uh, that is just a, uh, you know, an offer if you ever want to go back. I have your back, so I'm just going to throw that out there. But um, thank you, I, I appreciate that. I, absolutely, I have just uh, felt, you know, I have them in a box, and I felt there's going to come a time for this, you know, mm-hmm. to revisit this, and so maybe, maybe that's the open door that you just well, talked about. Well, who um, knows? <laughs> but yeah. uh, but I, the, we have a saying here in West Virginia: "I ain't scared." So um, you know, but. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, talking about printers um, and, um, you know, just getting the T-shirts printed, but uh, you actually experienced censorship with uh, the businesses that you had done business with and spent thousands of dollars with as well. Yes, yes, that's correct. Talk Uh, about that. Yeah, Office Depot. I um, am one of their premier members or customers because I have spent thousands of dollars every year uh, for the last oh four years, five years or so. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've had various posters made. And um, after this incident, um, they, in fact, there was a young guy who worked there who was a leftist, and he told some of his buddies, and, you know, they created a problem. They told their manager, and the, then the manager at the Office Depot uh, told me that they would not be making any of my posters anymore. And I said, well, that's interesting. I said, I'm one of your premier customers, and I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars here at your store. And he said, nope. He says, uh, that's it. That's the end of the matter. And I said, well, okay. So then I had to go about looking for another vendor. Meanwhile, uh, while I'm in this process, about a week later, I get a call from the regional manager, and I think it was in North Carolina or South Carolina, and um, you know, introduced himself, and he was very apologetic. He said, you know, I'm sorry. He said, we will be making your posters, Brenda. And he said, in fact, I want to give you a $25 gift certificate. Nice. Okay, way to go, <laughs> Office Depot, way to go. Yeah, so That's... Office Depot reversed themselves because of, of this guy, you know, the regional manager. But I tell you, it didn't fit well, I'm sure, with uh, the the manager at that store. So, um, yeah, and then I've had uh, another vendor where I wanted to have T-shirts made, and I've also had some ball caps made, Stop the Invasion, uh, and so forth. And um, she didn't want to make the T-shirts, and that's why I said I ended up going, you know, about 80 miles out uh, to get a vendor there that, that would do it. Right. So, yeah, it's just, you know, you can't lay down and roll over and play dead, Sean. So, you were ostracized, but CARE not only got an apology, but they took it another step further as well, didn't they? Yes. In fact, after that day, that incident at the Capitol, uh, Ken Hicks, as you said, a delegate from the 19th District, uh, he wrote a letter, and, and you've seen that letter. I have a copy of it and all the signatures that are on it. At the time, there were 41 Democrats in the House of Delegates, mm-hmm. and uh, 38 of the 41 signed this letter inviting a terrorist organization to the People's House in West Virginia. Now, let's unpack that for a second. I want to yes. stop there. So, let's unpack that. 38 delegates invited people promoting the same ideology that we went that, that we, you know, sacrifice blood, treasure, you know, just, uh, you know, over the, you know, how many desert storms and desert shields and all of that. And so they're inviting the same people who are actually linked to terrorist organizations, terrorist supporters, Hamas. Um, they're inviting these people to, to come. Do I have that correct? You have that exactly right, yes. Okay. CARE, or the Council on American-Islamic Relations, is Hamas operating in America. 
uh, they are a terrorist organization. And don't be fooled by the fact that they have a suit on. You know, they're jihadis in suits. Mm -hmm. um, that's what they are in reality. And because they have conformed in that way and present themselves to Americans and to other, you know, Western or Western countries, um, they get more mileage out of that. You know, they're able to um, make themselves appear as something they're not. Again, this practice of takia or deception. Yes. Uh, when in reality, their goals are, are all the same as the guys that, you know, the suicide bombers, homicide bombers. Um, you know, all of the people that did the 9-11. I mean, they're the same. They embrace the same ideology. In fact, Sean, that's what I was trying to say with my poster. I wasn't saying that um, that Omar was, you know, was responsible for 9-11. I was saying that she embraces the same ideology as the people who flew those planes into the, the towers. Mm -hmm. Now, I never got a chance to tell the Speaker of the House that, Roger Hanshaw, because, um, in fact, I know this because I FOIA'd his emails. Well, why um, should you have to? Why should you, well, why should you have to? <laughs> exactly. But. Um, but this is how, you know, you have to dig for some of this information. And um, the day that happened, the Vice, Vice President of the Mosque here, uh, Sue Barazi, or Ibtisam Barazi, uh, is her uh, name. She sent a, uh, an email to Roger Hanshaw saying how awful this was and Muslims shouldn't be treated this way and, and you know, all the, the stuff they go on with mm. about, you know, poor Muslim and so forth and they're being discriminated against. So um, that was March 1st of 2019. March 4th, which is three days later, and the legislative session was going to be ending in a few days from there. And Roger Hanshaw writes her back, and I have these emails, so I know what I'm talking about. I have proof. Roger Hanshaw writes her back and says, well, you know, I'm very busy right now wrapping up the legislative session. However, I would happily meet with you after the legislative session is over. So she thanks him, and, and you know, I guess they met. I have not been able to get an email that said, you know, it shows a date and a time that they met. I'd um, I, I wrote Roger Hanshaw. I waited till about August, so from March to August, and I wrote Roger Hanshaw and introduced myself. I said, Mr. Speaker, I um, was the one who displayed the poster at the Capitol. We've never had a chance to talk. I'd like to meet with you, answer any questions you have, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I waited six weeks for a response and uh, wrote him again in October of 2019. And to this day, I've never had a response from Roger Hanshaw, but he can respond to the Muslim, you know, and mm -hmm. meet with Muslims, but not meet with, you know, patriots, people who are concerned about the sovereignty of our state and our nation and where things are going. It's, it's pretty distressing, frankly. Can you speak to, um, you know, I'm, I'm a follow the money person. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that maybe, um, you know, with, with, you know, a lot of times you get a delegates and I'm not throwing anything out there. I'm not making any accusations, but, uh, you know, mm -hmm. just, uh, I, I mean, I smell smoke. I don't know if there's fire or not, but I'm just going to, you know, I'll just leave that there. I'm just going to, you know, I don't know. 
Well, in the past, I have looked into some of the candidates or the uh, legislators, uh, you know, donations, mm -hmm. and even our Congress people. I have looked into their donations, but I have about, I would say, 35 research projects, Sean, that I have sure. on the burner. And I don't have the time to research them all, or I might do a little bit on something, and then I have to put it on the back burner because something else comes along. But, um, you know, as far as that goes, I would say, you know, I have no proof of that or knowledge that there are donations going on there. But what I do think is that people like Roger Henshaw and others uh, are just, they're afraid. They're mm. just weak, spineless, girly oh. men that won't take a stand. They did, um, you know, and and I've, I like I said, when I, you know, met, I went to a few executive committee meetings. I, I I volunteered for, but you know, I told everybody. I said, look, they are going to silence you on social media. Mm -hmm. Your, you know, the the people running against you, they're going to get, they're going to be heard. But you're going to have to find other ways to get to your constituents. You're going to have to find other ways to get to people. You're going to, I, I, I was talking about the silencing of conservatives long before it happened, long before people started getting, you know, banned and, you know, everything like that. And nobody would talk about it. Nobody would address it. And it is such a... It is such the elephant in the room, or or the the since we're on the Powder Monkey podcast, the five hundred pound gorilla in the room. It's yeah. you know they are, um, you know their constituents are in danger of not just of it happening, but it's actually happening now as we speak. You know their their rights, um, you know uh, digital rights that you know what is being you know what is being sucked up by all these private companies and spit out to different organizations. Um, you know it's we need a digital bill of rights and and within the state it has to you know it has to start. They they like to say uh, hometown homeland security begins with hometown security, mm -hmm. but when patriots mention something they get investigated oh, yes you can you can you can talk about that i'm sorry i said you can you can speak to that you can talk about that that's another situation yeah um when um so-called leaders like roger, roger henshaw do things like this what they're doing is they're advancing the cause of islam Mm. And they're elevating Islam to, to mainstream and glamorizing it. I mean, companies like Nike now have a, a hijab for women. Uh, Macy's has a line of clothing uh, for Muslim women and so forth. Coca-Cola during a Ramadan has a symbol that they use, the crescent moon and the star that they have on their Coke uh, bottles or cans. Mm. I mean, and that's that's just a handful of the things that are being done to mainstream this vile ideology and to glamorize it. And of course, you know, in the practice of taqiyya, there are Muslim women who, who uh, say, you know, that the, their hijabs have been pulled off or they're discriminated against and so forth. And they try to get America, other American women. Uh, to wear, put on the hijab in solidarity, you know, with them, when the women in Iran are fighting to take it off. Isn't it funny <sighs> that feminists, they find this, um, you know, just refreshing and trendy, but it literally means submission. Yes. 
it's again it's the uh it's it's just i I think the term is clown world uh is but um you know you you've been investigated um for looking up public documents um you know and and it all sounded you know just from some of you know the what i've read and and what i've heard you speak on uh it sounds you know very motivated politically motivated um to me um and it it just you know i I really just your story just goes on and on and on but this firestorm you know that you know with the you know it just is such a uh to to use obama's uh you know phrase a nothing burger you know um (laughs) You know, it's 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 a nothing. Or no, I'm sorry, that was CNN, not Obama. Well, same same thing, same. And platform. Hillary too, I think. Yeah, yeah. That as well, yeah. But you know, just the the, the nothing burger. Um, you know, uh, compared to what they did in response, and it, you know, it, again, they just it's always the no borders, no walls, no USA at all crowd. Mm-hmm. And again, the same person. Um, I'm, we're going to go back and we're going to just take a look at that onion. Alexandra Gallo. Um, I have it on my website. It can be found. It's all there. It's on video. You know, they're yelling, you know, they're, they, they are the no borders, no walls, no USA at all, you know, hate speech, um, racist, you know, I, I mean, all of it. They, everything that they supposedly are against, I have them on video doing. Yeah. And, and, but sedition on that side is fine because it's no borders, no walls, no USA at all, which takes us right back to the problem, don't we? So, mm-hmm. well, that's that's very much like uh, the Muslim uh, or Islamic ideology that um, you know, and maybe Dave brought this out when in the interview with you. But uh, if you talk to uh, an imam, He'll say, and, and I've heard Dave say this, so I'm repeating something he's told me and others, mm-hmm. but um, he'll ask them about terrorism. They go, oh, no, they don't uh, believe in terrorism. You know, they, they don't support terrorism. And there'll be even public statements often, uh, you know, from an Islamic leader after a, a certain incident. No, we're opposed to terrorism. When, in fact, this is what they teach, but see, they don't think that Muslims commit terrorism. It's only the infidel that commits terrorism. This is where it's important to define your terms, because what a Muslim does when he commits an act like this is he's fighting for jihad. You know, he's fighting for to establish the caliphate under Sharia law. Isn't that called a fatwa? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, a fight wall is, uh, too, is when they, as I understand it, go after somebody. Specifically, or, okay. All right. Know, or something, you know. Got you. They, an imam will, you know, uh, declare a fat wall, like on Pamela Geller, or, mm, you know, okay. to have her head cut off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is the interesting thing. They They deny terrorism and say they're opposed to it, but they're the ones committing it, just like what you said about. The very things that they say they're against, they're the ones doing it. It's it, it's really it really is a form of insanity and uh, I think spiritual debauchery. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I was uh, I was on the uh, I got lucky enough uh, to make it on as a caller uh, on the Man Cow Show in 2006 2007, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a good conversation. And uh, but uh, I ended the conversation, you know, with. 
I'm less free today than I was on September the 10th, 2001. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, with what we're seeing now, um, you know, just going uh, maybe a little further, um, you know, Islam is a conquering force. That's that's their their objective, isn't it? Um, basically, yes. so, and they've been used by people in the past. Hitler had a um, had a, uh, a a cozy relationship with them, as I understand. He used them sort mm-hmm. of as a as a tool, um, you know. And so, again, I don't think there's anything new under the sun. And I honestly, I guess I don't want to get too metaphysical, but you know, I I think there are you know. To see it happen over and over again, it, it almost is like, you know, they talk about these spirits. <laughs> it's almost like these things jump into people and they do these things from our elected officials to, uh, yeah. you know, just the zombie on the street. Yeah. Well, you, you run out of rationale. You say, how can mm. a rational person do this? Um, and so you look for other answers to, to this insanity. Right. That, that's going on and you know and I guess ultimately you have to look at the spiritual side of things right say what what is corrupt or devoid of this in this person that creates this so now as I understand it you uh, are uh, popular with the uh, West Virginia threat fusion center um, so <laughs> I'm assuming that just by default, they're probably enjoying uh, a uh, a preview of the Powder Monkey uh, podcast episode 31 right now, and uh, I hope they're enjoying it. But uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, talk about that a little bit. Um, how it was turned around back on you as a as a citizen, and, and I'm not trying to you know again, uh, you know, that's a hard job keeping everybody safe, but the same time uh, i just don't see how you looking up public documents you know would warrant you know a conversation uh with mm-hmm. you know uh you know a threat fusion center and an intel department and so i'll let maybe if you want to talk about that maybe just you know so that everybody understands just what the pushback entails when you feel like you want to speak up and then maybe when people understand that then maybe they need to understand well why is the pushback so hard just because this lady you know is trying to bring attention to you know uh, this ideology that we've been at war with for decades now but i'll let you go there i'll let you i'll let you go there well for for those who may not be familiar with the fusion centers and i i wasn't very much at all. I'd heard five or five years ago, six years ago, sure. something about there was a group, uh, an organization that was in every city across the country or town, every state rather, excuse me, Right. Um, that the police and the FBI worked together and all this, but I never knew what it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't familiar with it until I did become familiar with it. So, right. Uh, what happened, Sean, is um, I was on the website of the Islamic Association of West Virginia. And uh, you're looking at all their information and, and their pictures and their photo gallery and so forth. And on that, and this is back to oh, 2015, 2016, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And uh, I noticed on that website, on the photo gallery, there was a picture of someone that startled, that astonished me, I would say. And that was Nikata Wan, the executive director of care in Washington, D.C., who I call the number one terrorist in America. 
you know, because he is uh, head of CARE, the Council of American Islamic Relations, and CARE is Hamas operating in America. So I saw him inside this mosque. There was a picture of him, mm-hmm. and the men were on the floor cross-legged, and the women were at the back of the wall uh, sitting down, and he's obviously lecturing or speaking to them. Uh, to their ummah or to their congregation, or, uh, so people understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. He was speaking to them, and I thought most people would look at this and just pass by it and say, oh, well, they had a meeting, you know. But I knew who this guy was by now, uh, as I had started to research so many different things. Sure. And so I sent this to a few people, and I said, do I have this right? Am I, am I, is this actually who I think this is? And they confirmed it. So from there, I was very concerned that this mosque here that's about five or six miles from my house and uh, the biggest mosque in West Virginia, that they would have a terrorist come and speak to their congregation or their ummah. And so, again, one of those mental notes I made to myself about, you know, I've got to keep this in mind and come back to this and find out what this is about. And so, um, as this mosque was growing and everything, you know, because you don't have someone come to your group or your congregation if you're not in alignment with what they're talking about or preaching. Sure. That's counterproductive. You just don't do it. Well, so that said to me that the people in this mosque were, you know, uh, aligned with this, uh, with him and with care and with Hamas. And now, so, just if, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to, but I just want to point out as well, you know, you've had people inside that mosque, and you've confirmed there are radical, insanely radical theology, um, you know, pamphlets, access to, I, I think the uh, they've said over two thousand pieces of literature in their library alone. Um, so, so you went with the gut feeling, but. You 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 know confirmed it, but I'm gonna let you go. I'm sorry, but I just want That's the. Okay, yeah, you're right. And that gut feeling I had later proved a few years later proved to be true when Dave Dobbitz did his investigation of of that mosque. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so where where was I? Kind of lost my train of thought there on that. Um, oh, so Nihad Awad was there. So mm-hmm. um, in January of 2019, um, no. Yeah, it's 2019. I, I keep giving the dates because it helps me keep the timeline kind sure. of in place. Right. But um, I said to a friend of mine, I said, you know, I, as I mentioned, I have so many research projects I'm always working on. And I said, I want to make a FOIA request for the building plans of that mosque. I said, uh, uh, in fact, I think this was January 2018. Now that I correct myself, Sean. Okay. But nonetheless, um, I said, would you mind doing that FOIA request for me? You know, it would help me out. And she said, sure. So she sent a FOIA request for Freedom of Information a request to the uh, city. I think it was the city manager of the city of South Charleston. Um, and he responded back very promptly. And this was about, though, on about mid-January of that year. And uh, he said he set up a time and a date, January 31st, for her to come and to review the building plans of the mosque. Now, 
just so people know, and, and, and you said public documents. These are public documents. Mm-hmm. You know, any, any building, we can, you know, we have access to that. You went to the courthouse, right? Is that where you accessed it? Well, no. Uh, okay. It was the city building here in South Charleston. Okay, I got you. Is, okay. is where we went. So, um, I, now, I did not do the FOIA request. My name was nowhere on that email or anything. Hmm. But but that day, and that's what makes it more interesting, mm-hmm. that day, now I was already on their radar, you know, uh, for all different groups. But uh, that day, I met my friend there, and as I recall, I think we did sign a clipboard, you know, as guests that we were there. Mm-hmm. And so we were escorted into the big conference room, and on the end, one side was a three-ring binder with the architect's report and lots of different things. And uh, at the far end of the, the table was uh, were the blueprints. And so my friend went down to the far end and started looking at the blueprints. I looked at, through the, the architect's report. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see a number of things, uh, which I, I won't mention here on this podcast. Sure. But but I was able to see how much they paid for the expansion of their mosque. It was over one point five million dollars and I was able to see what kind of bolts and screws and you know things that the architect had in his report. So there were two men standing over us. One I think was the city manager and I think the other one might have been the building engineer. Mm-hmm. And they said, What are you looking for? And I and I wasn't going to tell them because it's none of their business what I'm looking for that's a public document right you know and I said well I'll know when I find it and so we continued uh, there and uh, they walked out of the room came right back and my friend was taking pictures of the blueprints and they said you can't do that and she said well these are public this is a public record Mm -hmm. and um, and they had even told her previously in the email that she could have copies of anything, they just needed to know what she wanted copies of, so they could tell her what they would charge for them. Hmm. And now here we are on site, and they're telling us we can't have that. So she immediately, when they went out of the room, uh, she sent those five or six pictures she took to her husband, in case they were going to try to press her to or pressure her to uh, delete them. Um, and so we wrapped it up uh, not too much longer after that. I think we were there 30 minutes at most. And we left that day and thinking, well, okay, that's this is just more information we're collecting along the way for all of this, you know, and what the, the Muslims here in West Virginia are doing. Mm-hmm. And so um, fast forward from January 31st to March 8th, so just a little more than a month. And um, – I was at home, but I didn't hear my door knock. Um, however, I had gone out in uh, to get in my car, and I saw some trash in my yard. I picked up, and, and I noticed it was a business card. And it said on the back, Brenda, please contact me, and it had a phone number. And it was a sergeant from the West Virginia State Police Criminal Intelligence Unit. Mm-hmm. And I thought, the first thing that occurred to me, Sean, was, well, there must be some dr- drug activity mm-hmm. going on in my neighborhood, you know, and I guess he wants to talk to me. Criminal intelligence. Criminal intelligence, you wow. know, the West Virginia State Police. Now, I found out later, this is the division that works with the Fusion Center. Mm-hmm. And these Fusion Centers, I started to say a minute ago, were set up 
by Congress after 9-11 when Homeland Security was set up and all that. Mm -hmm. And the purpose was to uh, track terrorists and narco-trafficking and so forth and um, you know to, to monitor monitor them and to try to uh, get get them and so what happened though Sean because the Muslims have infiltrated every aspect of our government and society they had infiltrated these fusion centers especially the one in Texas I know of for sure mm -hmm. that they tried to destroy uh, the former governor by the infiltration they made there, Rick Perry, in the Fusion Center. You're you're referring to Rick Perry. Rick Perry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be there for a minute. Mm -hmm. So, um, but again, I didn't know any of this, you know, uh, until I found out later. Right. And and so I thought, well, okay, I'm happy to cooperate with the police, right? <laughs> sure, absolutely. <laughs> so I called the guy, the sergeant, and introduced myself, and he had a very stern voice, I would say. And I said, yes, sir, how can I help you? And he said, um, we were by your house. Now, I don't know if he meant we being he represented the state police or if he had another Partners, officer with yeah, him. Right. You know? But to come at the time, I was 66 years old. To come to, to <laughs> question a 66-year-old woman, you, you're going to bring two uh, officers of the state police criminal intelligence unit? <laughs> well, I do have to point out from here on out, you're, you've been a guest on the uh, most dangerous podcast in the world now, so uh, I'm just going to point that out. The, it'll probably be the, it'll probably be Roger Stone level raid next time. So, so. Well, I'm happy to add that to my, to my credentials. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, um, he said to me, "We were by your house earlier," and he said, uh, "I said yes, sir," and he said, "We want to know." why you uh, at, did a FOIA request for the building plans of the mosque. Mm -hmm. And again, I had one of those things where, you know, you're kind of punched in the in the gut and you, you what, you know? And I, I, because I have done so many FOIA requests with so many different agencies, I, it didn't occur to Donald me at that moment that I did not even do that FOIA request. Well, you probably had the adrenaline going at that point, too, uh, I'm oh, sure. I'm definitely. sure. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And uh, I, I thought it, about ten, maybe 10 seconds, 20 seconds into the conversation, I realized to myself, I thought, wait a minute, I didn't even do that FOIA request. Hmm. But I didn't want to say my friend's name because I thought they're going to contact her anyway. Mm -hmm. Do you know to this date? Three years later, they've never contacted her. Wow. They've never even contacted her, which I'm glad. I'm happy for, you know, her. But um, then he started to question me. And knowing now, I wish I had known then what I know now. You don't talk to these people, you know. You don't talk to the FBI. You don't talk to criminal intelligence people. Um, and even uh, in that um, those articles by Leo Holman, Mm -hmm. uh, who investigated this? Uh, Phil Haney, who's who was murdered, as you know, yes. uh, last a year ago in February, um, and others. Patrick Wood, who is Technocracy News, he said you don't talk to these people because they will, you know, you're going to be on their radar forever. First of all, and they can manipulate and do things. And I even had one person, not someone on a national level, but someone locally, say. You don't know but what they'll put drugs in your car and stop you some you know because you rolled through a, a stoplight or a stop oh, yeah. sign. 
and all of a sudden they happen to find you know a bag of something in your car and uh, I thought boy yeah <laughs> sure the, these are the kind of things that that they well look at like you said Roger Stone and some of these people how you know what the things they've done to them oh, I don't yeah. think any, anything has passed their reach or their grasp in this uh, no I mean once you build something um, this powerful and again uh, they called it the Patriot Act I mean even going back that far but there's nothing patriotic about the Patriot Act we sacrificed liberty for security and we never got it back yes well, and instead of actually tracking, and I guess I'm not saying that they don't do that, but, you know, Muslims and people who are terrorists, they turn this against American citizens, uh, former, I mean, vets, you know, former military people, uh, people who uh, say anything against Islam, mm -hmm. you know, or against the system, the establishment. Um, that's who they're investigating now. And uh, you once you get on your, their radar, you know, I wasn't even sure if I could get um, certain things renewed, licenses, because they might impede that. I, you know, I haven't traveled since then on an airplane, you know, and, and now with COVID, I'm not sure that I ever will well, with the restrictions. But um, you just, they're capable of a lot. Well, let's look at Laura Loomer. I mean, mm -hmm. she lost her, what, Ubers? Uh, she lost her bank accounts. Uh, yeah. She was put on a terrorist watch list. Right. Um, and, and again, uh, this is just shocking because I, I, I don't know, and I'm just going to ask this. I, it, it may be pretty obvious, and I'm, I, I, I'm sure you did, but uh, the sergeant that, that uh, you know, questioned you, did you ever forward any of the intel that you've gathered and from Dave especially and say, hey, maybe you should take a look at this. You know, they, you know, they they want to subdue your 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 daughters and kill your sons. And, uh, you know, uh, they want to do really bad things to the people that we're trying to be so inclusive of. Um, well, here's here's the shocking thing. And I heard this comment when I was um, at the city hall there in South Charleston looking at the building plan documents of the mosque, mm -hmm. I heard this comment, and I also heard this sergeant say it to me over the phone. Um, because I told him, I said, well, sergeant, what prompted this was I saw a picture of a terrorist mm -hmm. that was speaking at this mosque. And you guys in law enforcement say always say, see something, say something. Absolutely. I have that written down in my notes. Yeah. I, have that, I have that written yeah. down in my notes. Be aware of your surroundings, your community, what's going on in your neighborhood. So when I saw this, you know, that he was there, I was concerned. And here's the comment he made back to me. We have a very good relationship with the mosque. Right. And that was exactly the same phrase I heard from the city uh, people at uh, South Charleston that said to me, we have a very good relationship with the mosque. Let's so talk. I thought, okay, well, that's, mm -hmm. I'm connecting these dots for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that just um, verified to me what I had been hearing and reading from Dave and John Guandolo and Jim Simpson and so many others along the way about how the Muslims have infiltrated these different governmental organizations. Mm -hmm. Well, know, and they convinced them. Now, what I did do, um, I sent the first person I called uh, was Phil Haney. And I said, Phil, I got to talk to you about something. 
and um, told him what, what had occurred. In fact, Leo Holman, you probably saw that comment from him. Um, he said, you know, you never talk to them, Brenda. Yeah. You know, uh, and so forth. But uh, I asked him, what should I do? You know, and he said, well, the first thing you need to do is document this because you'll lose some of it if you don't, you know. So document it right away. Sure. And so I did that. And, you know, I was told to contact a couple of the uh, law firms, you know, that do pro bono work for conservatives. Um, I think I, I think I contacted American Center for Law and Justice and a couple of others, uh, Liberty Council. And I couldn't get any traction from anybody on this, Sean. Uh, they all told me they had federal cases or were, you know, overwhelmed with federal cases and things that they were involved in. Mm-hmm. Which okay, this is just a little incident, you know, one person in West Virginia. Uh-huh. But, but what I finally did um, in a few, few months later is I got an attorney here in Charleston, mm-hmm. and I I knew how to do a FOIA request by now because I've been doing one for doing them for several years, mm-hmm. and uh, with to many different governmental agencies. So, but I thought if I get an attorney to do this, it'll have It'll seem more legitimate or have more weight, right? You know that I have legal counsel, and maybe they can't blow me off as much. So I, got, I met with this attorney, told him the story and everything, gave him some uh, documentation. He sent a FOIA request to the West Virginia State Police Criminal Intelligence Unit. Mm-hmm. Now, the, as you know, and I've said here, these guys were at my door. I talked to them on the phone. Sure. About a month later, they responded to this FOIA request and said they had no record of Brenda Arthur. Wow. I just dropped my water. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is insane. So so was this a, I'm going to, uh, I'm making air quotes, and I'm, I'm not trying to besmirch anybody's reputation, but was, this sounds like we're into deep state territory. You have an official statement that they have no record of you in there. Right. And I also, hmm. I have this card yeah. with his name on it. I've seen it. I've seen okay, it. Okay, you saw it. Yeah, I have that hmm. personally. I mean, in my possession. I gotcha. So, uh, to say, and I even had the attorney put in the FOIA request, Brenda Arthur, Brenda K. Period Arthur, Brenda K.A.Y. Arthur, you know, just the variations of my name that they might have. Hmm. And you know, before this guy ever came to my house, you know he looked up my driver's license. Right. You know that he investigated me to see if I had a criminal history. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, whatever other steps they take, you know. Brenda. He, I'm sure he did it. I mean, I don't know how far down you know. I mean, I I tried to dig in a little bit with Dave, but you know, I I didn't I didn't you know want to dig deep enough that he felt he might be giving away trade secrets or you know something that might compromise somebody that's still used in the field and whatnot. But but I don't know if you've ever heard of Jade Helm. I don't know if you've ever heard of you know mapping the human human domain mapping. But but just the phone, it knows your heart rate. It knows where you're at, where you go. I mean, they use phones to drop bombs from Predator. Well, I mean, not drop them, but pinpoint them from, you know, uh, the f- famous two words from Obama, Predator drones. Yes. And so, yeah. and we're to the point where people, American citizens, where there's no record, 
are you know you know and again obama you know it's okay to uh you know to to use a predator drone on an american citizen now mm-hmm. so um you know that that smacks of well you know what it's just so we're so far down the rabbit hole now and i know we don't have time to get that but it just it blows my mind and it's again people you know you and i can yell and scream about it um we can post we can post podcasts about it but until people actually with ears to hear god willing get up and say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm a business owner. I am not going to, but you know what? All business owners are, are cowed right now. They're, they're, they're masked. They are afraid of losing their business because they can only have 50% of the occupancy in now anyway. Um, you know, I mean, we're just, we, we're under, and I use the term in the interview with Dave, but we're under medical Sharia, you know? <laughs> yes. And, yes. and, and you know, the whether you believe it or not, we are entering beast, mark of the beast level, you know, new world order, everything that that you know people have laughed about for years, it is on the cusp. Your cell phone, you know, is is going to be your master before too long. Mm-hmm. And I say you as everybody, this listening sure. audience, but. Sure. Well, after that response, you know, and I told Phil and some others, you know, that I'm in contact with on a, on a national level, I, I said, this is astounding. And so I, I decided at that point, okay, I'm going to have my attorney write the fusion center, right? Mm-hmm. Because they would be the ones behind this. Well, he wrote the fusion center asking for the same information, saying, you know, he's the legal counsel for me and so forth. And within a couple of weeks, they got back. Now, they're supposed to respond in five days when you do a FOIA request. Sure. Uh, That doesn't mean you get your information. That just means they acknowledge receipt of your request. Yeah. But it took about two weeks, which, okay, that's fine. I can live with that. And they write back. And in essence, what they said was that I was not entitled to the information they did have. <laughs> so I have two governmental major governmental agencies. The state police telling me they have no record of me, okay? And the fusion center, the spy center is what they really are, the spy center saying I wasn't entitled to what they did have. So we've built this huge system and it's been turned on an American citizen and we have gone from either you are with the, you are either with us or you are with the terrorists on in 2001 to now that term terrorist is very very um you know uh anomalous it, you know it's we we don't know uh you know what it is you know what it is um you know it, and it's just uh again it's a slippery slope because um it sounds to me like even though you don't have, maybe, you know what, Brenda, maybe you just need to load your library at home with thousands of books on how to, how to, you know, call, you know, people and, uh, you know, just how to become Sharia compliant and maybe this will all go away for you. <laughs> well, um, I, yeah, it probably would, but I, I just, I can't do that. You know? <laughs> I, I remember, well, Dave uh, Gobbett said, you know, to be in this business, so-called, it's not a business, but it's a passion for us. 
uh, to be doing what he does, what I do, what you're doing, what others, many others are doing. You can't be afraid of death, and you can't fear what is going to happen. The fear of death is the greatest lie Satan ever told. Oh, yeah. It, it really is. And because uh, I, I even said to Dave, you know, with, he, I mean, his neck is really out there. Sure. He's known across the country and, and other places. And and uh, just the things he does, he goes in and challenges moms. And, and he, you know, got that information out of Harris headquarters. And, you know, I mean, he's really got his neck out there on the line. But um, he said, you can't be afraid of death. He says, I, I don't fear it. No. And the same thing with Phil Haney. I mean, and it did cost him his life because he knew too much. Talk about the mm -hmm. explanatory memorandum, just so mm -hmm. that just so that we're touching upon everything and, and why, you know, why I know that maybe we're circling back a little bit um, to use, uh, you know, a uh, White House press uh, terminology. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, maybe I, I saw that note there and I just thought that that was very important about the, uh, you know, explanatory memorandum um, and and how it was used and um, everything like that. Yeah, this is a document that was created um, by Muslims. Um, in fact, uh, this goes back to about, well, let me say this before I, I give you a little history on it. Um, this document is, I say, I call it akin to a general having the battle plans of the enemy. You know, he's got every aspect of how they're going to wage war against him, and the battle plans are there. So you've got Hillary's yeah. server, basically, is what you're yeah. saying. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Going ahead. There you go. Um, it was around 2004. Um, and it was at the Chesapeake Bay Bridge in Maryland. And, you know, this is just a few years after 9-11, about three years. And so I think a lot of the uh, officers and uh, people, you know, Army, all of them, soldiers were on higher alert than what they are now. Well, maybe they are now because they think that patriots are going to storm the Capitol, I guess. But um, there was a sense of, you know, people being aware and so this uh, ranger uh, sees this woman with uh, in Islamic garb looking at the underpinnings of the structure of the, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, and she was taking pictures. So he goes over to her, rightly so, and questions her. And there was a man waiting in the car for her, um, and he goes back to the car and runs the license and all that, finds out that there's an outstanding warrant for this guy. And um, so this led to a search warrant for their, the house, their house. And uh, they get to the house, and down in the basement, there was a subfloor. And under this subfloor, there were 80 bankers' boxes of documents mm. that were in there. I mean, this was a treasure trove. And basically what uh, they had come across was this guy was uh, more or less the secretary for the Muslim Brotherhood in North America. And as the secretary, you know, he was keeping all the documents. Well, this one document in particular that you referred to called the Explanatory Memorandum, this was used by uh, to bring them to trial, not the people there, but certain terrorists, uh, the home, I'm trying to think of the name of it, the, the largest terrorist financing trial in American history. 
mm-hmm. in Texas right. in 2007. And this particular document, the Muslim, uh, the explanatory memorandum, was a very significant document in this trial because it laid out the plans uh, of how they were going to destroy and take over America. And, uh, I mean, everything from finance to education to, uh, you know, uh, banking, I mean, you name it, entertainment, journalism, uh, women's groups. I mean, it just laid out everything. And at the back of this document, you know, was translated. Of course, all these documents had to be translated. But our eyes were never supposed to see this document, uh, especially because, again, it's the battle plan of how they're going to destroy America and take over and establish their caliphate. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, the last couple of pages, I think it's page 31 and 32, there's a list of organizations that are their affiliates here in America and of the Muslim Brotherhood. And those organizations are like the Islamic Society of North America and so forth. And one of those was the Islamic Association for Palestine. Mm-hmm. And that organization no longer exists, but CARE took its place because Nihad Awad and a couple of other men were involved in this IAP, or Islamic Association for Palestine. So um, after the peace accord, remember when the peace accord was signed with uh, oh, Clinton and uh, Arafat mm-hmm. and um, – I think Begin on the White House lawn. What was that back in '98 or so? I believe. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, this group of Muslims of the Muslim Brotherhood were opposed to this agreement or this peace accord, so they got together in Philadelphia to come up with how they were going to fight this and how they were going to go against it. And so that's when CARE, the Council of American Islamic Relations, was established. I think it was 1999 uh, in America. So uh, it might have been a year or two late, uh, earlier, but uh, to my best recollection, it was right in that time frame. But to point out, it was not when uh, Ilhan Omar said that it was came at, uh, about after 2001. Oh, no. Okay. Not, oh, I just no, want to point that out. Lie. Yeah, I want to point that deception. out. Deception. Takiyah, deception. Absolutely. You know. You know. So they have been up and running for many years, more than a couple of decades now, and um, you know they are uh, they are putting their plan into effect. I mean, you can see it. I know Dave. I, I don't know if he mentioned this in his interview with you or not, but he asked a lot of imams, "Well, why is it there hasn't been another big attack like 9/11, you know, or since then?" And they, you know what their answer to him is? Every Everyone he's ever talked to or asked this question says, says to him, why should we do that when we're winning? Yeah. yeah but, well, that's that's what I was pointing out with the, you know, the Patriot Act, 2001. Who lost their freedoms? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're winning. Why should we uh, do another 9-11-style attack when it would set us back 25 years? How far How far down the, the uh, how, how much of it actually is implemented now? I know there's things about education. I know that they're pushing, you know, and have in the past, you know, uh, you know, whole segments of education, you know, and, and children going home with the assignments of uh, there is no God other than Allah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, how much of it's been deployed? I, um, you know, it, it's, it's amazing to me how far they've gotten, but, you know... When the Muslim Brotherhood is is going into the the White House, 
um, no. during the Obama administration. Maybe maybe it shouldn't shock me, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, that that's fine. It's I don't know that I could give you a percentage, but a great deal of it is. Sure. And especially in certain places like in Michigan and uh, in Minnesota. And for, I mean, for yeah, they will reach when they reach critical mass. And see, they hope to reach critical mass, Sean, by this population business, this refugee business of braining Muslims in, putting them in small towns, you know, all across America, you know, bringing them to Washington, West Virginia, where there are what, I think 1,200 people that live in Washington, West Virginia. But yet, 10 Iraqis were placed in there in 2016, between 2016 and and, uh, 2015. Well, you have to ask yourself, what are 10 Iraqis doing in Washington, West Virginia? You know, so again, they have to reach critical mass, and they reach critical mass by bringing more people in, by uh, becoming successful, by people supporting their businesses. You know, I won't support any Muslim-owned business that I'm aware of. You know, and uh, two, there's another whole issue here with doctors. You know, a lot of doctors, uh, Arab doctors, Arab Muslim doctors, have been brought into West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, from a doctor that I know, that they can—they uh, don't have the student loans and the things that our doctors do when they're getting out of medical school. So they can go to a little cold town, you know, and have a, uh, and doctor there or have a practice there because they don't have to worry about paying off three, four, five hundred thousand dollars of student loans. You know, they can go in there and uh, work for forty or fifty thousand dollars. You know, and build a reputation, and so forth. So there's just they they've just inundated us on every aspect of our society mm-hmm. with with all of this. You know, with uh, glamorizing and I call it mainstreaming. They've mainstreamed Muslims. I look for the day. Not I'm looking forward to it, but the day uh, when they have a Muslim day at the Capitol. Mm-hmm. You know, during the legislative session, they're doing that. They've done that in other states prior to COVID. I think Kentucky in 2019 had a Muslim day at the Capitol. And so um, these are the things, how they normalize themselves. Is there a Christian day at the Capitol? I, I apologize. <laughs> I don't know. Or uh, uh, any question. any other faith. I, 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 do we have a Buddhist day? I, I don't know those things. Maybe I should should find out. But it's yeah. it's 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 crazy. Um, you know, and again, it's it's the... Um, it's it's we've become lapdogs or no not we because there's still a remnant but um, yeah. our our leadership has become lapdogs and uh, they're so afraid of being canceled themselves that they never realize they should turn around and say wait a minute you're completely doing everything that you're that you're railing against why don't we shut you down you know mm-hmm. and again maybe if one or two men you know, uh, had you know, and I hate that it has to go that that far or degrade that far in in a civilized manner, especially in the people's house. But maybe if a few delegates stood up and and saw those uh, unruly ones out, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but um, but we well, we have to get angry and we have to yeah, stop letting not, them. Not only did uh, Speaker Hanshaw um, not punish um, you know the uh, Caputo. After that incident, when other people were punished, you know, Ann Lieberman was uh, re- resigned and he accepted her resignation and, and so forth, and the other things we talked about earlier. But um, 
he didn't all he did the only so-called punishment that caputo got was being put off his committees for the last several days of the yeah. legislative session yeah well it was almost at an end anyway so he's put off his legislative committees so what yeah but he had no punishment and you talk about putting him out he should have been put out of the legislature oh uh, oh yeah he, he he should not have a career right now in in civil service he he is not a civil servant he is he believes that he uh, is entitled he's elite yes. and and uh we don't need that we the the time for elitism is i, I mean we we have to hit a critical mass at some point and the average american has to find that american spirit within them i believe Lord, I hope there is some type of hereditary memory. We have to be the greatest, the next greatest generation, or there will be no future generations of Americans. Yes, um, you know, I, I have uh, so often said that with our government has betrayed us, and we've allowed it, and our uh, our government uh, is endorsing and and uh, sanctioning people coming into this nation illegally and both legally as well through the visa system and all these other systems uh immigration that they come in and on top of that to add insult to injury we're paying for the invasion of our own nation oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i mean how stupid is that <laughs> well you know uh well it, it, absolutely Brenda, is there uh, anything we haven't touched upon? Is there anything that uh, you want to expand upon? Uh, anything you want to, anything you, else you want to cover? Well, I, I would like to make a, a comment about, um, you know, oftentimes, I, it's been a while, but I'll have people say to me, well, what can I do, you mm -hmm. know? And uh, believe me, I've been there, and I'm still there in many cases. Mm -hmm. and, and I know what that's like. It's like you've got this thing cooking inside of you and it's like you've got to do something i i only know sean i ha i can't sit back and do nothing but what i try to encourage people to do one of the things is just like i told you i saw on that uh, website uh for the islamic association of west virginia i saw that picture of nihad awad there and i told the state trooper that in my conversation with him Mm -hmm. And do you know, I went back there a couple of weeks later and that picture was gone. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I'm inferring that that state trooper told them. Because mm. somebody, either they or the guys at the city hall there reported me to the fusion center. So somebody, I it seems likely that they told them. It. I mean, it sounds, it sounds to so me what? like there's a channel there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what I encourage people to do is if you run across something, uh, you might not even think at the time that it's something significant, make a hard copy of it. You know, uh, print it. Keep a hard copy. Uh, I mean, I've got lots of things. There, there's a goal I have, um, but I just it's one of those back burner things, and it's going to take me quite a while even to, to do it. But I want to develop a timeline for West Virginia. And I want to go back and show people over, you know, five or six years at least, how this is progressing in West Virginia. Uh, because something happens up in the eastern panhandle, and the people down here in southern West Virginia never know about it. Well. You know? uh, something happens. Now, the Caputo story of him going crazy, that pretty much got across the state. 
but there are just different things that happen, you know, uh, where the student in the Eastern Panhandle was told to, you know, recite the Islamic uh, faith mm-hmm. pledge, um, and and just different things that are happening, you know, that uh, in ha- Cabell County, uh, he's gone now, but there was a uh, assistant prosecuting attorney that converted to Islam. Mm-hmm. And so, and then in uh, another small town in West Virginia, there was a Muslim, the first Muslim running for city council. So these things are going on, and I really want to bring it to light and put it on a timeline to show people kind of the progression and uh, things that, that have been going on. And even in the schools, you know, you, I need to encourage people to, to look into their school boards, see what they're telling, you know, what they're promoting. Look at the curriculum. Um, you know, find out if, in fact, they have dedicated an Islamic prayer room for the Islamic students, the Muslim students, rather. Uh, monitor your chamber of commerce. Monitor the Democrat Party. See what they're up to. I mean, there are just so many different things. Look at the, the local churches that are welcoming refugees because they're probably involved in this interfaith movement. Uh, which is, you know, more diabolical stuff. Uh, the shoulder-to-shoulder training, where they get, you know, all these different religious groups together, that's sponsored by Muslims. So they're just, you know, really, if, if they stop and think about it, there are numerous, dozens of things people can do. And you don't have to do everything, but uh, just add one brick to the structure, at least. Amen. Um, and help us all work together. You know, you you mentioned and you alluded to, I guess, you know, how California and, and it's sort of a bellwether, I guess, is what you were alluding to. And mm-hmm. uh, but I, I want to take a little further. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, in Europe, we saw the migrant surges. You know, during the the first part of the well, actually before the Obama administration, but we saw the the you know the the migrant surge, you know, for the Syrian refugees there and the fighting age men again. And it's all the same thing. Like I said, it doesn't change. The strategy, whether you plug it in in Europe or whether you plug it in in, you know, Mount Hope, West Virginia, um, you know, it would be the same strategy. And, and these people, again, they aren't coming in, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is, Tommy Robinson, you know, we're to the point where you've become a Tommy Robinson almost, you know. Tommy Robinson saw, you know, a a Muslim sex ring, basically, and he Mm -hmm. could not any longer stand it. And he walked out of his business, and it it went to blows. And he became ostracized, and he became Islamophobic, and he became, Mm -hmm. you know, the villain in this. And um, so, again... uh, you know, we people have to see what's going on. And if you were one of the people that told me, uh, you know, I left my party, or, you know, I, I'm a Democrat, but my party left me, you need to think really hard. And, and you know, honestly, unless, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on the, you know, I know that we've changed leadership with the GOP, but I'm, this is a call. This isn't just the citizen. This is a call to our elected officials to defend the republic and to make sure that when we say Montani Semper Libri, that it is actually going to happen or step yeah. down and let somebody do it. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's another thing uh, just I'll mention, too, as we probably come to a close. Um, I have tried for five years, five legislative sessions, this being the fifth one. 
um, which the attempt this year was more feeble because I kept getting stonewalled. But I have tried to get a refugee bill passed through the legislature. In my mind, the Republicans have no excuse now because uh, in the House of Delegates, there are 100 seats and the Republicans have 77 of those, supermajority. In the state Senate, there are 34 seats and the Republicans have 23, supermajority. They could get this done. But um, I, every time over these prior four years uh, before this, it's been a Republican that's done something to stonewall it. They wouldn't let it get out of committee. Exactly. Uh, nine, nine of them didn't show up uh, to vote on it out of committee one day, and so it was tabled. I mean, these are the games they play. And I have faith that if we can put a man on the moon, we can we can draft uh, legislation that would you know include fair play, but not jeopardize the the safety uh, and the um, you know the, the the security of West Virginians and, and Americans. I'm certain that we could do that if we put our mind to it. Yes. You know, this bill is about the Refugee Information Act is what it's called. And, and of course, the left call it uh, Islamophobic and hatred and, and everything of else. Of course. You know. mm-hmm. But what it's about, it's holding accountable the Department of Health and Human Resources for how many refugees are coming, what are their ages, uh, what public schools are they in? Um, you know, how many in the family? Just the demographics. It's an information bill and, and a transparency bill to hold them accountable because they don't have to, to report anything to our legislature. I wonder what would happen if we started suing the uh, West Virginia Interfaith Refugee Ministry or Catholic Charities just like they sue gun manufacturers every time there's an unvetted um you know attack somewhere i wonder what would happen boy what i i would love that fact, maybe we you know, need I that want, legislation do you i think? wanted to sue the governor this time because of the people aren't allowed in the capitol in the people's house <laughs> you have to have an appointment well oh, good yeah. luck getting an appointment well, you know nowadays it's medical sharia brenda yeah it's it's medical sharia um but uh you know i say better in valhalla than submissive to allah so um <laughs> I don't know. But uh, <laughs> did we cover anything? Uh, how can they get in touch with you? Um, you know, just any final closing remarks? Uh, just let people know, um, you know, if, if they want to or if you feel like it, um, you know, how, uh, how you, you know, where you're at and how they can get in touch with you. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't have a website and I've um, deferred doing that because with all the other projects and everything, I don't have time to monitor it. Sure. And, uh, I, I have looked, you know, for somebody who would volunteer to do that, but so far, you know, haven't um, found anybody. But, um, you know, when I first started into all this and realized that, um, you know, what was going on back when I first got back here, Sean, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll just find out about this and that'll be kind of the end of it and I'll let some people know. I had no idea where this was going, and I thought that I could just, uh, I was 60, uh, what, five, not 65 at the time, about 63 Mm -hmm. when I first got back here, and I thought, I'll just live a quiet life. I'm going to semi-retire, and, uh, you know, I was at that age, and, uh, boy, that was just not to be, and uh, here I am at this stage of life, you know, where I thought, I I don't have to put my name out there and people know my phone number and, and all that. 
but that just wasn't to be and you can't really you know get your information out if if you're not willing to do that right I so gotcha. um you know i have that uh, facebook page as i mentioned secure wv uh if they're on facebook and I've got to, I know I've got to transition to something else uh, as time goes on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, me, we, or, you know, I keep hearing that Trump's going to set up a, a media site. Uh, so we'll see about that. But uh, they can contact me on Facebook, Secure WV, and ask, you know, make a request and just say they heard me here and, you know, um, they'd like to join. Also, um, they can email me. I give out my email. Everybody in the world has it. It's Brenart, B-R-E-N-A-R-T, Brenart at AOL.com. I'm one of the old AOL users for many years. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to transition that, too. Uh, But those are the two best ways. And then uh, depending upon where things go from there. You know, I'm, I'm very happy to give them my phone number, um, but I just don't want to put it out in a podcast. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely fine. I, I understand. Well, Brenda, um, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, this has been audio dynamite for our listeners, I'm certain. So um, thank you. And, uh, you know, if anytime, you know, you, you've got my contact information, anytime you want to reach out, um, you know, I, I would love to have you on anytime. And, uh, you know, we'll say our, our goodbyes off the air there but i really want to thank you for coming on the powder monkey podcast and uh hopefully we'll do it again sometime if uh you need to update anything or just feel like chatting thank you so much i appreciate that sean absolutely for god for country for truth for justice for the republic you're listening to the powder monkey podcast on pirateinfowars.com Our conscience coming, we have no fear.